we may not be able to change the way our livers function or our stomachs function or our hearts beat or our circulation. But when we take control of our breathing, we can influence all these functions down mm. to our immune systems. So breathing is the thing that ties all of these different systems of the body together. So by consciously controlling it, we are then able to consciously control so much about how our bodies operate and even how we process thoughts. And that to me is a wonderful thing. It's even more wonderful that breathing is free. You don't need to buy anything. We carry it with us all day long, every single day of our lives. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and hopefully y'all had a healthy and happy holiday weekend with loved ones and those closest to you, whether it was in person or virtually. And if you fell off the saddle with your workouts and your nutrition over the weekend, don't sweat it, but let's all get back on our health and fitness journey starting today. And with that said, what if I told you that the way you breathe could potentially be destroying your health? I got your attention, didn't I? But don't be scared. I have just the guest today on the show that I will introduce in a moment that is going to unpack all things on the breath and help inspire you to breathe properly so that you can improve your ability to function cognitively, mentally, emotionally, and physically. So today's guest is James Nestor, an author and journalist who has written for Scientific American, Outside Magazine, The New York Times, and more. His latest book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, was released earlier this year and was an instant New York Times and London Sunday Times bestseller. Breath explores how the human species has lost the ability to breathe properly and how to get it back. And this is a book I could not put down once I started, and it was absolutely breathtaking for so many reasons, as you will find out, no pun intended. And Breath will be translated into more than 30 languages in 2021. And Nestor has spoken at Stanford Medical School, the United Nations, Global Classroom, and appeared on more than 60 radio and television shows, including Fresh Air with Terry Gross, The Joe Rogan Show, and more. So be ready to have your mind blown by the wisdom James shares, which is all based on his research and experience. So let's bring the suspense to an end and welcome James Nestor to the Adversity Advantage podcast. James, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, man. And you're blowing up. I was, you know, looking at your book because I've been sending it to everybody I know ever since I got done reading it. And I, you got like well over 3,500 reviews on Amazon and it's only barely been out, what, five months, six months. And in your top 100 out of all books on Amazon, right? This is news to me. I know this sounds a little kooky. I do not look at any of that stuff. I've never read a review. I, I can't look at it, but it's great to hear it secondhand. So th thank you for mentioning that. I had honestly no idea there were so many reviews or anything. 
Yeah, it's amazing, man. And I got to tell you, we were talking before we recorded, I got so much out of this book. It was absolutely mind-blowing for so many reasons. And I just wanted to say thank you because there are so many health books that we read that might be relatable or applicable to some, right? Depending on their views on diet, exercise, and others not so much. But everyone, everyone can relate to your book because we all breathe. And I think it's been incredibly inspiring to learn that it's not just our breath, it's how we breathe is literally it can be life or death. And that most of us, in fact, are breathing wrong. And it can lead to so many major health complications and how we breathe can impact things like our mental health, sleep, anxiety, and so much more, which we're going to get into. But before we get into that, you're not only the person that provides the tips, the research, and your findings as a journalist, you also have an incredible backstory as to why you did it. And I am blown away again by your mission behind the book and learning that you were someone that was kind of chronically sick with viruses and respiratory illnesses that forced you to dive deep in your own health and discover the importance of breathing. So what was going on then to give the audience a bit of a backstory? And what was the breaking point that forced you to take better care of your health? It's interesting because it was it was a bunch of things that happened year after year. It was not one thing like I got in a car accident and decided to change my life or anything like that. It was just this progression. And I think it really started with me suffering from a lot of respiratory problems, bronchitis, constant bronchitis, mild pneumonia, some wheezing. Even though I was working out all the time, I was doing a lot of grappling, boxing, martial arts, surfing, like that was just part of my life and still is. And I was eating the right foods and I was sleeping the, the super eight hours a day and I was kept getting sick. And I thought that this was just normal. I live in a city, so people get sick all the time. But it, it got to such a point that I went to my doctor, who I would go to about every two years, not, right. not very often. And she suggested that I check out a breathing class. And in San Francisco, you can't throw a, a whiskey bottle and, and not hit about 12 different breathing classes. So the, there's a ton of these things. And I picked one at random. It looked okay. Took a weekend intro course. And I was like, eh, that's all right. But it wasn't until a few weeks after that, that I went to this follow-up session and just had this really incredible physical response to breathing. And I thought, what else is out there? Yeah, it's amazing that sometimes our own pitfalls and our own health can lead us to discovering, you know, not only one part of our health, but it's almost like opens Pandora's box at times. And you're like, okay, now that I've learned this, like what's next? And I know that kind of led you into discovering more about the ins and outs of breathing in itself. And it led you to conducting an experiment where you, I believe you plugged your nose for 10 days, right? And you were like, okay, let's see if mouth breathing is as bad as people say it is. I'm going to test it, right? Which as a journalist, I think that was amazing for you to do. So now you can actually bring tangible data for people to understand. So I think the easiest way to put in layman's terms for the audience to understand the importance of nostril breathing and why we are breathing wrong is to kind of walk people through your findings and doing that experiment for 10 days. So that experiment was just building off of a very firm and very large foundation of science that has shown us very clearly that mouth breathing has a deleterious effect on our health. Mm -hmm. It affects the way 
we think. It affects the way we process food. It affects our bodies. It affects the way we look. It affects our posture. And so people have been studying this for decades. This was not news to anyone. But what nobody really had looked into is how quickly that damage came on. So I'm in San Francisco. I'm lucky enough to be really close to Stanford. And I use that place constantly during this research, their medical library, and so many experts in the field. And I got to be pretty good friends with Dr. Jayak Arnayak, the chief of rhinology research down there at Stanford. Nose guy, he's like, you know, this is this most amazing organ. No one realizes it. 25 to 50% of the population are, is mouth breathing. And I said, that's, that's all great, but how soon does this damage come on? Is it like after a decade of mouth breathing that you're gonna look weird and suffer respiratory problems and neurological disorders? And he had no idea because you can't quite get two groups of people and have one of them mouth breathe for a year or 10 years and have the other not do it and, and compare the, the data. So we developed an experiment in which I would be plugged up, me and one other brave individual, this guy by the name of Anders Olsen, breathing therapist from Sweden, flew out here. We'd be plugged up for 10 days, just breathing through our mouths. And I, I could understand how some people would view this as a super size me study, some <laughs> sort of prank, some jackass thing. Right. But it really wasn't. If you look at the the population that chronically mouth breathes, the, the only difference is we, we were measuring it meticulously three times a day, like every imaginable measurement, just to find if there would be any damage after just a few days of mouth breathing. That's crazy because I know in your findings, it's funny, it, there was a lot of correlation between breathing properly and exercising. Because if you, we all know the benefits of exercise, it lowers your blood pressure, you'll sleep better, you'll have more energy throughout the day, you'll feel better about yourself, you'll be less stressed, I can go on and on and on. But it's pretty much the same if you're breathing properly, because I believe in your in the results from your study, your blood pressure went up, you developed some sleep apnea, you had trouble sleeping, you had insomnia, you were anxious, just from breathing out of your mouth, am I correct? We knew this wasn't going to be fun. So yeah. we weren't thinking that this is going to be some a week and a half holiday. We knew it was going to suck. Yeah. But we didn't know it was going to suck this bad. And, and I thought that it was going to be a number of days before we really felt anything. But I got home that night, drove home from Stanford about 45 minutes. I was like, God, I feel awful. Check mm. my blood pressure. It was as high as I'd ever seen it in my entire life. And then that night, went to bed. And for the first time I'm aware of, I was snoring. I snored for an hour and a half. And a few days later, I was snoring for four hours throughout the night. I was choking on myself from sleep apnea. We were fatigued. We were stressed out. Our mental capabilities were in the gutter. Heart rate variability was in the gutter. I mean, everything you can imagine was we were being affected. Every, every function of our body. And the fact that this comes on so quickly and that people don't realize it and they're spending decades breathing through their mouth, they're like, why am I always tired? Why yeah. am I always coughing? It's nuts that a journalist has to go into this world to, to find this stuff out. Luckily, academics have been studying this forever, but the research hasn't been making it out to the general public. And I just thought that that was crazy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I almost feel like now I mean, at least breath work is kind of like the new sleep. Like you heard a lot about the importance of sleep on your energy levels, your hormone regulation, gut health, everything. But now you're hearing a lot of people 
as the rise of Wim Hof and, and box breathing and everything else, the importance of it on things like managing your stress, anxiety, depression, so on and so forth. But there's not a lot of talk on how we breathe. And one of the most shocking things for me was learning about the importance of simply just breathing through your nose more often. And then along those same lines, like breathing less, which was shocking to me. Because you think that in order for you to gain more oxygen in your system, you should breathe more. But in fact, it's the opposite. So what did your research kind of prove with the importance of the nostril breathing in itself and the, the fact that of why we need to kind of breathe less as well? So the how of this is the easy stuff, right? I yeah. can tell you in about 45 seconds how to breathe and, and it will change your life. But unless we know why this is working, where it comes from, what it's doing to our bodies, it doesn't sink in. So there's dozens and dozens of books on how to breathe right. But from what I've found, none of them were really looking at, at the science of what is what is happening. We're looking at the research. So that's what I tried to do in this, this book. The how is the easy stuff. Right. So with, with nasal breathing, you know, you can tell someone, stretch your mouth, breathe through your nose. Like, that's cool. Then they're going to forget about it three minutes later, unless they have a deeper understanding and a context to why it's important. So I try to do a really deep dive into that. And I thought I had it figured out. I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. And the deeper I got into it, it got so weird, like so much weirder than I had ever imagined to learn that the nose is this crazy labyrinth, intricate mm. structure that's shaped like just like a seashell, like a mollusk shell. And when air comes into it, we do the same thing that mollusks do is we filter this air, we heat it, we humidify it. I, I'm referring to mollusks as, as far as they're filtering out particulate matter and keeping invaders out. That's exactly what our nose is. This is our first line of defense for our health, period. More than anything else, it all starts here. And so to learn that and to learn that our nostrils are covered with erectile tissue and to learn that our nostrils will naturally open, one will open as the other closes throughout the day, like these flowers mm -hmm. and how all of humanity is supposed to be connected. I mean, this stuff, you could not make it up. It's total sci-fi weirdness, but we've known this for over a hundred years. And the fact that it's happening right now within our bodies and no one realizes it, no one knows all of these benefits, I thought was pretty thrilling to stumble upon this stuff. And as I you know, would read more articles, talk to more experts, it just got stranger and stranger. So that's what I tried to encapsulate in this, in this book to describe to people, there's this amazing resource right in the front of our faces that nobody's paying attention to. So what do you tell people? I mean, you said you could describe how to breathe in 45 seconds. So I guess for people that aren't going to take a 10-day experiment or dive super deep into the importance of nostril breathing, what do you tell the people who just kind of want to get started of being more consciously aware of how they breathe? Yeah, I don't suggest anyone plug their noses right. to, for 10. Don't do it, people. I, I did it. I've been there. I've come back. I'm never going to do it again. But I, I think the important thing is you have to understand your physiology. You have to understand how our body processes air, how gas exchange works, how oxygen feeds our hungry cells. Once you understand that, you can really appreciate why it's so important to breathe correctly. 
I could tell you all of the damage associated with improper breathing. If you want to know what that damage is, go look around society right now mm. and uh, look at all these people snoring who have sleep apnea, who have asthma, COPD, anxiety, on and on and on. And so much of that damage is caused by this improper breathing. And this is something that even in medical, some medical circles right now is not being acknowledged. I talked to several top people, professors in the field who said, how you breathe has not, it does not affect asthma at all. Asthma is an inflammatory reaction. It's allergic. That is totally false. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I'll give you 20 studies that, that show that that's false. So back to your question, I think the, the important thing is not just to understand how these things work, but to understand what they're doing. And once you know what they're doing, you can feel this transformation taking place in your body just when you switch your breathing. And you will know that it's no longer a placebo effect. This is stuff that can be easily measured and you can measure it yourself and see what happens. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really interesting point and that is this whole thing with self-awareness. I think as a society, we struggle with self-awareness because whether it's being aware of our actions, our sense of time, our behavior, we're constantly on the run. We're hyper distracted with our cell phones. And I think being cognizant of our breath and taking some time, whether it's in the morning for a few minutes at night, during the day, setting a timer in our phone, to do some breath work and focus on controlled breathing can pay dividends in the future. It's like, I'm a trainer and I tell my clients, if you can just do these few things, drink more water, sleep better and eat more whole foods, those three simple things, you'll live a lot longer. So what are some of the simple things that you do for yourself with you being so busy right now with, you know, the book tour and everything to kind of keep yourself consciously aware of how you're breathing? Yeah, so that advice you just offered took about seven seconds to exactly. give these people the advice that that will change lives, that can add 10 to 20 years of happy life, not just living, not just living like being alive, intubated on a gurney, <laughs> but living a full and enriching life. But how many people really understand that or listen to it or acknowledge it unless they know this, this backstory, you right. know, the, the, exactly what's happening here's what processed foods do to your body. <laughs> and here's what whole foods do. And what a difference there is between these two things. So people think that since I wrote this book on breathing, I mean, I became a complete neurotic about my own breathing. You're, you're researching this stuff every day, day in, day out, only talking to researchers and in breathing in the field. But I'm not. I'm not the best breather in the world. I'm on my, my path just like anyone else. I know a few tricks. I've picked up plenty of tricks. But the most important thing, this is something that you touched on earlier, is awareness. Because if we can become aware of our breath, we can then take control of it. And this doesn't mean you have to go and sit in a dark room and practice uh, a sacred pranayama method that's been around for thousands of years, you know, for two hours every day. We carry our breath with us all day long. So whether I'm sitting here on a, on a Zoom call or I'm watching you know, some Netflix show or I'm walking my dog or I'm surfing or I'm jogging, I'm breathing the whole time. So this is an opportunity to take control of your breath and harness it and try to do it better. And you will notice that each of those different functions, whether or not it's cognitive functions, physical functions, recovery, all of these things will improve. And the science is very clear on this. So there's really no reason not to, and, and it shouldn't feel like a task either. 
it's wonderful to feel better, to, to operate more efficient, efficiently. Like that's a good thing. And it's so easy that it, just as you were saying, so many people tend to to poo-poo it and just say, ah, oh, what, what's that going to do? Well, try it. Look at the science and see for yourself. Yeah, it's I, I relate so much to that because, you know, as a trainer, like I said, I can tell my clients or anybody else to drink more water, eat more fruits and vegetables, move more, sleep better all day. But that's the easy part is telling them to do it. It's, it's actually putting it into place and taking action on it that is going to change their life. And I think we wait in society to for things to get so bad that it's almost incredibly challenging or nearly impossible sometimes to fix our situation. Like we wait until we have diabetes to change our diet. We wait until we have that heart attack to get moving. We wait until we have horrible sleep apnea to be like, wow, I need to change the way I breathe. Right. So what is the correlation? I think right now there's three things that everyone is struggling with, or at least it's on the top of their mind. Number one, is their immunity like we're, we're in the middle of this pandemic we got covid we got the flu season coming up everyone's worried about their immunity people are stressed out of their minds we are in some very like challenging times as a society people are losing their jobs left and right that sort of thing and because of that people aren't sleeping as well so kind of get into the details a bit if you can on the impact that on how we breathe has an effect on those things and what we can do to use our breath um, as our ally in these situations. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Again, EarthEchoFoods.com forward slash Doug Bopes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. So we are a reactive species. We only do something, or I won't say something. We often only do things when we're forced to do them. Mm. And health is a perfect example. And you, you really nailed it with that. People usually don't don't consider breathing until they've had asthma for 20 years and are going to die or their bones are wasting away from taking too many oral steroids. People don't get interested in a keto diet or, or a low carb diet until they have diabetes. <laughs> so it, it's interesting because breathing can be used in those, those severe cases. I've seen it. I've seen people with autoimmune diseases. I've seen people with asthma. I've seen people with anxiety transformed by this. But it's much more effective to use this stuff before you get to that point. And so this is why a daily practice, and again, I don't mean sitting in a room and, and looking at Buddha, a daily awareness of your breathing can rebalance the body throughout the day so that you don't hit that crisis mode and you don't flip over in, into being very sick. 
And I'm not saying that breathing is going to do everything for you. Absolutely not. Just like food isn't going to do everything for you. Exercise isn't going to do everything for you. But it is definitely a pillar of health. And it needs to be considered right alongside those two other things if you really want to be healthy. So you can think of it as a pressure release valve throughout the day. I've been having very stressful days, as have most people. And breathing is a great thing to clue into throughout the day and, and to use breathing to calm myself down. We know the quickest way to reduce inflammation, diets work great, cold showers work great, exercise works great. What's even quicker is breathing. <laughs> so a lot of people are over-breathing, they're stressed out. And so that's causing a lot of vasoconstriction. It's causing a lot of inflammation. By just slowing your breath, you can reduce that. You can become more relaxed. So something I learned from our mutual friend, Andrew Huberman down at Stanford is this, he calls it a physiological sigh, which you take in two breaths and you release. It's and crazy how quickly that helps, isn't it? Two breaths and do that about three or four times. And this guy is a neuroscientist. This is not a dude in a cape and big sir. He's, he's the yeah. real deal at, at Stanford. And he has found that this is so effective. And of course it is because breathing allows you to tap into your nervous system function. And it also allows you to bolster your immune function. Breathing is essential in supporting your immunity and especially breathing through the nose. I could give you a whole bunch of reasons for that, but, but trust me on this, this is long established and so you see people during COVID times, even when they have a mask on, a lot of people are just huffing and puffing through their mouths. That's probably the worst thing you can do. You need right. to be breathing through your nose all the time. Yeah. And one of the things you touched on the book, and by the way, before I get into what I was just going to say, what Dr. Huberman has said definitely works. There's been multiple times where I've been stressed out either in traffic or just at my place doing whatever. And, I, and if I can be consciously aware of the fact that I am stressed and practice that technique, it's amazing how just doing it a few times, you're I'm much more relaxed and then it kind of subsides. And then you build that muscle to deal with stress by controlling your breath. And getting back to what I was going to say is one of the things you talked about in the book is keeping in mind that our nostrils and our nose is, is a muscle. And just like any other muscle, if you don't work it, it, it can atrophy, right? And so if we're focused on our mouth breathing so much and then we lose the muscle function in our nose. It's the cause of the reason we're getting like allergies and, and that sort of thing, right? So many people suffer from chronic congestion. I think like 15% of the population has chronic sinusitis, could be even more than that. About 50% suffers from chronically inflamed turbinates. Yeah. About three quarters of us have a deviated septum. I mean, our noses are completely messed up. And the less you use your nose, the harder it's going to be to breathe through your nose. This is a use it or lose it organ. And I learned this from Ann Kearney, the doctor of speech language pathology down at Stanford. Once again, I, I told you, I, I use them all the time for, for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was slated for nasal surgery. She was a mouth breather her, her whole life. And she looked at scans of people who had laryngectomies, a little hole drilled in their throat because they had cancer or some other problem. And she found that their nose is just completely plugged up between two, two months and two years, 100%. And she found that the same thing was happening with her. So she just started breathing through her nose all the time, including at night, during the day. And she did not need surgery at all. 
And I followed this, a similar thing to see how I can improve my airways. It's easier to do this when you're young, when you're developing. I'm old, I'm middle-aged. <laughs> I thought I'm screwed. I'm not gonna show any progress. Completely false. The, the body is so malleable and all of these structures, the, the pharynx, the back of the throat, the soft tissues, all of this just functions like any other part of the body. The less you really use it, the less toned it gets. So it starts collapsing inward. We call it snoring. We call it sleep apnea. But you can build these structures up and tone them so that you can breathe better. And anyone at any age can do this. Yeah. And I think the whole use it or lose it, it's so true. Because I think about for me, I'm just as a trainer, I'm like, all right, if I don't work my biceps, they're going to get smaller. Right. If I don't do squats, I'm going to have chicken legs. If I don't bench press, my chest is going to get smaller. And it's this, you don't really think about it though, because it's, we're not conscious, we're not as consciously aware of it because we're like, all right, I'm not trying to make my nose bigger. We're not trying to make my nose more toned, but really it's the functionality of it that is important, I think, in the way that we work it. And one of the other things that you touched on that I'm just thinking about now is how reactive we are as a society to certain ailments. And my first thought that comes to my mind when people say they have sleep apnea, it's like, all right, they're going to put them on a machine. They're, they're not talking about, okay, let's address how they're breathing. So have you found that you have, are now unpacking Pandora's box, if you will, on taking a whole new preventative approach to sleep disturbances with this? So something like 20% of the population has sleep apnea. It could be even more than that. And 80% of the people with severe sleep apnea are undiagnosed. Wow. So they have hypertension, they're getting diabetes, their bodies are breaking down, they're tired all day, they're getting autoimmune diseases, and they're given more drugs for each of those particular things. Here's your drug for hypertension. Here's without looking at, at the core issue. And this is not my opinion. This is the opinion of the top experts in the field who have told me this over and over and over. The problem is that doctors, even though they want to help, they do not have time. Time is not allocated to help these people. Doctor, I'm choking in my sleep. I'm tired. Here's a CPAP. CPAPs absolutely work. They're total lifesavers for people, but they do nothing to fix the core issue. And the core issue is a mouth that's too small for its face, an airway that's clogged up. So to me, it makes a lot more sense to fix that core issue, open up that airway, so allow breathing to become easier, especially through the nose. And what I've seen, what these researchers have seen, it's like, who would have guessed? Hypertension goes down. Yeah. Metabolic problems go down. These people aren't fatigued anymore. And the saddest thing is to see this with kids. A huge percentage of kids nowadays have sleep apnea and they're snoring throughout the night. And especially when you're developing so fast, like when you're a kid, this can have long-term, lifelong effects on your mental capabilities, on your growth, on so much else. And these kids, again, are being treated for five different ADHD, <laughs> or they have other issues, metabolic, they're wetting their beds all the time. They're treated mm -hmm. for each of these things without, it's a breathing problem. That, that's what this is. And until you address the breathing problem, they're going to have other problems associated with that. So it's, it's crazy that more people aren't looking at this. It's the science is, is all there. Top researchers in the field have been showing us this over and over and no one's really looking at it. 
Yeah. And I think a big problem is that we're so on the run and it's just, we're just doing this almost unconsciously that we don't take the time to think about it. Cause even now just talking to you and I'm kind of reflecting back on what you're saying to me and I'm like, okay, logistically, if I breathe through my mouth, I know that there's no filtration in when I'm mouth breathing, there's nothing filtering like there is in my nose. I know if I breathe more, like if I think about it, if I'm going to take 20 quick breaths, like <laughs> I'm going to start hyperventilating. My blood pressure is going to go up. I'm going to be out of breath. I'm going to start panicking. So it all kind of makes sense as to not only when we breathe more and we're mouth breathing, why if we do that consistently, I think you said what, we take 25,000 breaths a day that we would have chronic anxiety, sleep disturbances, high blood pressure, diabetes, you name it. And the other thing I'm thinking about too is, you know, there's so many people struggling with drug addiction right now. And what I wanted to ask you is because it seems to me that how we breathe could also in a way be at the foundation of curing addiction. If you think about people tend to use drugs because they're dealing with pain, trauma, grief, you know, and, and using drugs to, you know, to deal with that in an unhealthy way because they're stressed and because they're anxious and because they're not sleeping is, is hurting all of that. So have you found any correlation with, breath work and how we breathe and helping people like heal from trauma and grief and stuff like that. So just regarding the 25,000 breaths a day, that is on the upper end, but, but a lot of people breathe more than that. If you just imagine walking incorrectly for 10,000 10, steps, we're supposed to take 10,000 steps a day, right? How is that going to affect your body? It's not going to only affect your foot. Just, just put your foot slightly at an angle it's going to affect your knee. It's going to affect the other side of your body. It's going to affect your posture. It's going to affect your back. I know this because I just stubbed my toe surfing. And so for two weeks, I was hobbling around. I was like, why does my back hurt? What? Oh. Wait, my other knee is hurting now? Like, what is going on? So if you're struggling to do something that often, every five seconds or, or less than that, obviously it's going to break you down. Our bodies are so good at compensating. I can still walk with my stub toe, but I'm walking very poorly and I'm exerting so much energy to do so little. And that's exactly a, an analogy that could be used for breathing. So with, with drug addiction, I can't speak very deeply to that. What I can say is I've met several people and I've seen several studies of people who had various addiction problems and caused by all kinds of things, mental problems, you, you know, growing up, they had a bad experience, maybe they recently divorced, there's, there's so many reasons, things are stressful now, man, the, the modern world is tough. So certain breathing protocols, especially the more intense ones, so a, a lot of people with very serious problems, when we're talking about those people with real asthma and real autoimmune problems, they can get a benefit from this breathing slowly, the simple stuff, but sometimes you need to turn up the volume to 11 to really break through that. And that's what holotropic breath work has been shown mm -hmm. to be extremely effective for addictions, even with, with schizophrenia and other mental disorders. And Wim Hof method, you know, a cold shower a day and just breathing your brains out once a day controlling all that stress, just going for it, compounding it so that the rest of the day you can be chill. I've gotten a lot of benefits out of Wim Hof method. You, you call it Wim Hof method, you call it Tumo. It's all the, all the same right, thing, yeah, Sudarshan yeah. Kriya. And, and Sudarshan Kriya is, is another one. So the, the science is clear that this is helping people. And at minimum, 
it's going to make you feel better. So right now, I, I, I can't understand why anyone wouldn't want to do that, wouldn't want to at least feel better. Yeah, and as somebody who has struggled with addiction as a when I was younger, I mean, I've been in recovery now for just celebrated 12 years. When I do the Wim Hof method, it's like, wow, I feel like I'm high. Like, it feels like you just did a bunch of whippets, right? At times when you're first, especially when you're first doing it, you're getting acclimated to the new feeling. So I'm wondering, is that, do you think, the allure to people who have struggled with addiction to doing the intent because they're so used to being intense or is it more like the neurological benefits like you said that you're getting these intense feelings and then you're, you're calm and you're feeling like you're doing something productive because you're channeling some of these negative emotions into something positive i think that the that feeling of elation is is a nice side effect right. of it. I don't think that that's where the magic is because you can get that feeling from a zillion different things. You can get it from, you know, whatever, not nitrous oxide or yeah. other drugs or whatever. I think it's the shift in, in biochemistry, the mm -hmm. shift in your brain, the shift throughout different parts of your body that haven't really been woken up you know, so much. They've been so put on the back burner. When we're stressed, that stress inhibits blood flow and connectivity to other organs in our body. It essentially shuts them down. So when you bring all that stuff back online, the body can work efficiently. And if it's working efficiently, you can make more reasoned decisions in your life. We know that breathing can have a huge effect on your emotional centers of your brain. So it can have a, a huge effect on your ability to remove toxins and increase circulation. So I think that once people feel that and they feel the instant benefits, they become convinced that something's happening here. And we know that the science shows something is happening, something transformative is happening. But that little high you get on the side, that doesn't hurt. It's great because it, it makes you want to go do it. I've, I've found that Tumo Wim Hof, I, I do these things a few times a week and I feel so good after. I, I sleep so well after. It's not a placebo effect. That's the, the feeling of my body being balanced. Yeah. And one other thing that uh, Dr. Huberman and I actually talked about was our the importance of putting yourself in a fight or flight situation to combat stress in a more healthy way when it does face you and putting and doing the holotropic breathing and Wim Hof and doing the cold showers puts you in fight or flight. You're, you know, you're experiencing crazy emotions. You might tingle, you might feel like lightheaded, but it's all, but you're generating this yourself. Right. And what I've learned, even in my own experience, my own journey, I honestly just got started in breath work consistently just a few months ago. And I've seen my ability to handle my own anxiety and stress get so much better because what I was most concerned with was when I would get the fight or flighty feelings for when I was stressed or nervous. But now that I've gotten used to putting myself in that situation and kind of controlling the breath and the mind, it's kind of subsided. So what has you know been your experience with managing your own stress levels, like putting yourself in that fight or flight mode and how it's helped you yourself, you know, manage what you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. To consciously elicit these different stress states or relaxation states gives you back power that you mm -hmm. don't think you had. So a lot of people say, I'm stressed. I don't know what to do. I, I can't sleep at night. And, and yeah, for good, good reason, things are nuts right now. 
But once you understand that so much of that stress is perceived stress, it's perceived right. fear. And once you take control of that, you can say, hey, I can choose to turn this on or to turn this off. So with these very intense breathing practices, what they do is they teach you how to turn it on in a controlled way. And when it's on, you can enter into your own brain and say, okay, this is what stress feels like. I'm going to master this and I'm going to control it so that when things get really nuts, you can sit back, you can pull these tools from your breathing toolbox and you can apply them to whatever situation. And I think that's what's really important is to know that breathing isn't just this thing that you can use to just chill out. Okay, everyone close your eyes and be calm. It is vast. As, as one breathing person coach told me, a free diver, she said, we can breathe in as many ways as, as the, you know, we can eat different food. So, so there, it, it is a myriad ways of breathing to elicit myriad responses in our body. And once you know that, once you control that, I really believe that you can take better control of your body and help balance yourself throughout this, this very weird time. Of course, we are in a very weird time. And you're right. I think most of what we're battling is perceived stress, fear, and anxiety. And once we can take back control, right? Because I think so many times people focus most of their energy on the things they can't control and yet don't do the things that they know they can control to better themselves, right? And as a result, we become more stressed. We sleep less. We're not breathing properly. We can go down, down that rabbit hole forever. But if we can become more consciously aware of our choices, not only our breath, but what we're eating, who we're spending time with, what we're watching on TV, like our life can become that much better. And I want to get back to this, this one part you talk about in your book about holding your breath and the benefits of that, because so many people, when they say, hey, hold your breath, it's going to have benefits, they're like, you're crazy. And it's something that I think strikes fear in us, because I know for me, when I'm holding my breath, the first time I did it, I could do it like for maybe 30 seconds, and I was like, <gasps> right? And then the more I practiced it, I got up to like maybe a minute, 15 seconds. So talk about the importance of holding your breath and kind of what it does to you, like, as a whole on your body. And then also the fact that you actually re retain more oxygen when you breathe in less. I mean, that, that's incredibly fascinating to me. So one of our greatest fears is to lose the ability to breathe, which is good that we're programmed with this. We need oxygen and we need it all the time. So that's completely natural. The problem is that so many of us are so sensitized to these perceived threats that we view even holding our breath for five seconds, 10 seconds as a severe insult to our bodies. So we, mm. we panic and freak out. And it's no coincidence that populations with anxiety, panic, asthma, and other fear-based disorders traditionally can hold their breath maybe five or 10 seconds without losing it. So these people have become so sensitized to carbon dioxide that any slight increase freaks them out. And the reason is because they associate that increase of carbon dioxide with having an attack. So what happens when you have a panic attack? <gasps> you can't breathe, CO2 goes up. What happens when you have an asthma attack? The same exact thing. So 
they've become so sensitized and so fearful of having these attacks that they've taught themselves to breathe like this. Wow. And if you see someone with asthma, there's a good chance they're going to be breathing out of their mouths and they're going to be breathing way too much, far over their metabolic needs. So breath holding techniques have been around thousands of years. I had a lot of fun digging through medical libraries and finding this incredible stuff from these books that are 1500 years old about how to hold your breath and all the benefits of breath holding. It's the same thing in Chinese medicine as it is in ancient Hindu medicine. And so we've been doing this for a long time. And what breath holding allows you to do is become more comfortable with that increase of CO2, okay? So it's no coincidence as people start handling their asthma better, their panic, their anxiety, that who, oh, whoa, they can hold their breath for 30 seconds. They can hold their breath for a minute. And it's no coincidence as well that an extremely effective therapy for all of those people with all those conditions is this extremely slow breathing. Mm. The slow breathing allows you to gently raise your CO2 in a controlled way. And it's also no coincidence that Dr. Justin Feinstein at Laurier Institute of Brain Research is now giving people with anxiety this huge inhale of carbon dioxide to help reset their brains. To, it's, it's like weightlifting, you know? It's like bench pressing like an enormous amount of weight and then walking away and saying, that's, that's my exercise for today. And it's no coincidence that people have been, psychiatrists and psychologists have been using this for over 70 years and it's extremely effective. So all these things are tied together we just have had a hard time looking at the whole picture. Everyone's looking at these different pieces. The whole picture is tied, tied to breathing and breathing dysfunction and what happens when you breathe in a healthy way. Yeah, and the one thing you said about anxiety, it's funny, when people have a panic attack, what do people normally do that they sometimes don't respond the best way to? Just breathe, just breathe. But you never really hear somebody be like, well, hey, this is how you can breathe to calm your anxiety. Cause when you're trying to tell somebody who can't breathe to breathe, it's like, it's like telling an alcoholic to stop drinking. It's just not going to go well. Right. And I think in my own experience with anxiety, looking back, even through therapy, one of the things they always told me was when you focus on your breath, whether it's box breathing, whether it's doing a super slow inhale and a super long exhale, whatever it is, you focus on something else other than the symptoms or what you're anxious about. And sure enough, it passes, right? And then you, again, build that muscle and you learn like, wow, whenever I get this feeling, instead of immediately going and turning to a drink or to drugs, if I can just control my breath, it takes the focus away from what I'm worried about or from my feeling of panic. And I can kind of move on and, and refocus after I get through that. And one of the things that I highly respect about you and what you did with this book is not only the factual information you provided the readers and if they listen to it with, along with your own experience, was that you put it in such easy context, I think, for as much science as you had to provide for people to be able to understand. Because I'm not the most science person. I was not a science guy growing up, but I was able to at least take away so much from the book and understand and be like, okay. This is how I need to change even my own daily routine to do more nostril breathing, to be more consciously aware of, am I taking time to actually focus on not only the fact that I am doing breath work, but how I'm doing it. So as a journalist and as a researcher, what were like some of your biggest takeaways from your studies on breathing for yourself? 
I think that just to address the the first question, this book was a was a nightmare to write because you have all of this interesting research, all of these different techniques, but there's no story behind it. And mm-hmm. I knew that no one would really identify it or or want to go into this world unless there was something about them, about the reader. You know, you want each page to be this mirror on on the reader to help them improve their life and their health. I, I don't want to write a, a memoir like, look, look at me, I got all these benefits. Who, who right. cares about that? You want to put yourself in there so that you can be able to comprehend and and parlay this this information back to the reader in a way that makes sense. But I, you know, I knew nothing about this world going in. I've never written about medicine or this deeply about the human body's function. So there was this steep learning curve because you talk about breathing, you're talking about basically all the functions in the body. And it's so hard to understand that, but I think that was a benefit because it allowed me to then explain it in a simple way to someone just like me, because I was learning as I was going. I hadn't been studying this stuff for 20 years. Mm. So to me, the biggest takeaways were to learn that we shouldn't blame ourselves for breathing improperly, for breathing incorrectly. You know, a lot of people blame if you're eating the wrong foods and say, hey, you're making the wrong decisions and whatever. That's a whole other can of worms. But with breathing, we have evolutionary issues. So we have evolved in ways that our mouths are way too small for our faces. So, so there is morphological change that we can't do anything about. That happened, and that's one of the reasons we're we're the worst breathers in the animal kingdom, and one of the reasons why we're suffering from so many chronic respiratory issues. The other side of it is is our mental states. Anxiety definitely affects breathing, and, and we're stressed out. So to learn that there's not one thing you can put your finger on, to, to learn that we're nowadays we're just born this way to breathe improperly, to me was really empowering because to figure out the problems, you can then address how to fix it in a real way. And that's what I spent the majority of the book doing. It's it's one thing to harp on about, we're totally screwed, everyone. Uh, look what's happened to our evolution. Look what's happened to our culture, pollution. We're wearing tight clothes, so now we can't take a deep breath even if we want to. We're holding in our abs, so we have six-pack abs. That's terrible because, again, we can't let the diaphragm sink down the way it's supposed to. Instead of just harping on on that, you know, I wanted to 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 show the, the story of of hope where people could take this stuff, really use it, really take charge of their life in in a real way. Yeah, and you definitely did. And it's funny that we think that having anxiety and sleep disturbances affects the way we breathe. But really, it's the other way around. Like how we breathe actually affects our anxiety our stress, the way we sleep, immune function, go on and on and on. And something really cool I noticed about your story is that you started, you know, your original love was for the sea, right? And deep sea diving and free diving. And the very thing that's most important, I would argue for that is the breath and controlling how you breathe and being able to hold your breath. And yet it took you kind of rediscovering your own health to find that and not only go down your own, your own journey of helping people or helping yourself breathe better, but now helping society breathe better that comes all full circle back to your original love and and freediving. So I got to ask, what's next? So you wrote the book on freediving. You've written this book on the breath. Is there anything in the works that you can share that is going to be even more groundbreaking or... Well, with freediving, that was definitely a view into a world that just blew me away. And it's no coincidence 
why these free divers who can hold their breath for seven, eight, nine minutes at a time, when they're walking around, they are completely chill. <laughs> they're completely relaxed. Though. <laughs> because, and I learned how to free dive. I'm going out in a couple of days to, to go free dive out at Ocean Beach. And so the only way to do it is to take control of your, you can't do it stressed out. So you take control of your breathing. And by taking control of your breathing, you can dive deep. And you can also get rid of anxiety and panic because you cannot free dive with, with panic. So it's the, the sea is still, I, I surf as often as I can. I get out there as often as I can. That That's my refuge. And to know that you have this tool, breathing, to allow you to explore the ocean in different ways is so thrilling to me. So I do have another book idea. I stumbled across something that just absolutely blew my socks off a couple of years ago. I've been chipping away at it, but I'm not going to start that anytime soon. I, I'm not ready to to live the next three years in this four by eight office where I'm talking to you from. This is my writing shack and and books are hard. You know, I'm they not going to try to make it sound like it's digging a ditch for 20 years, but it, it really, I, I put my whole self into these things. And so I'm going to sort of lay around on, on the outside, talk about breathing for a bit more, and then, then I'll head back in and get to work. That's awesome. So my, my last question is this, we covered so many things between your story the importance of breathing, how we breathe, the effects it has on our health, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I noted early on that so many people know what to do as far as our health. I bet you if you told this to people and you said like the effects it has on our health mentally and physically, and that this is how you should breathe, people will kind of get the gist of what to do. The problem is they don't. And so what I was going to ask you is like, if somebody just asked you what the importance of changing the way you breathe is, what's like your elevator pitch? Maybe it's 15, 20, 30 seconds that you could put in simple terms to say, hey, if this is why you need to do it. We may not be able to change the way our livers function or our stomachs function or our hearts beat or our circulation. But when we take control of our breathing, we can influence all these functions down mm. to our immune systems. So breathing is the thing that ties all of these different systems of the body together. So by consciously controlling it, we are then able to consciously control so much about how our bodies operate and even how we process thoughts. And that to me is a wonderful thing. It's even more wonderful that breathing is free. You don't need to buy anything. We carry it with us all day long, every single day of our lives. Amazing. And I, I was like listening to you say that. I was like, wow, that is so true. And you're right. It's funny. Like there's no, you're not trying to sell anything. You're just trying to say, hey, just breathe. And this is how just use what you literally use what you have. And well, right. This, I think this is one of the reasons why this stuff hasn't been prescribed too often. And this is not my opinion. This is the opinion of several doctors, including my father-in-law, who's a pulmonologist. You know, he, he said, well, yeah, of course this stuff works. It works amazingly well. But what financial incentive do, do people have to sell breathing? That to me seems so crass and really scary uh, where there's something that can really, really help people in some significant ways. Why not tell them about it and let them help control their own health a little better and, and to feel better? Now more than ever, I really th think we need this knowledge out into the world. And, and again, the worst thing that's gonna happen you're going to feel better. You've spent zero, zero dollars. And the best thing that's going to happen is it will change your life. 
Yeah, you put that in a really interesting perspective because I'm like thinking as a trainer, same kind of thing with doctors and exercise. You really don't see people, doctors prescribing exercise. Hey, go move your body for 30 minutes, go for a walk, you know, change the way you eat. Here's this dietitian, go see that person. You don't see that too often. It's more the band-aid approach. Here's this medication, here's that medication, do this, do that. And so I really value kind of what you just said. So where can people find out more about you if they want to, you know, obviously I'll put the link to your website and your book in the show notes, but where can people connect with you if they want to learn more? My website, mrjamesnester.com has, I think about 400, 500 scientific references with x-rays with all this stuff. If you're like, this is complete full of crap. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> check, please check out the references first. And then you can go um, to another page, the FAQ, where I've been doing expert interviews with professors at Harvard. There are breathing classes, exercises by Johns Hopkins people. It's all there. It's all free. If you want to take a deeper dive, of course, you can check out the book. I'm trying to get better at uh, social media, this thing called social media. Who, who knew? <laughs> When you're old like me, like these things are, are not something you, you dive too deeply into. But I've, I've realized through Andrew Huberman that this can be an amazing tool. So I'm only posting breathing related science stuff on my page. And you can check out some stuff there as well. Awesome. I will be sure to plug your social media as well. And yeah, it's a funny thing. And I'm sure like when you you take a deep dive and realize how, you know, when you become so passionate about becoming more conscious of your actions, you're like, all right, is social media really fit in with that? I'm trying to, trying to breathe better. I'm trying to move better. I'm trying to live longer where social media fit in, but you're right. It can have a positive effect when you're putting out information, you're putting out factual stuff to help people improve their health. So I really wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on here. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. And I think my audience is going to get so much out of this. And for those who are listening, this is going to be an episode. You're probably going to want to pause a little bit, take some notes, maybe listen to it a few times because he provided a plethora of information on how we need to be breathing, why we need to be changing the way we breathe and becoming more consciously aware of our actions around that. It can literally save your life. It can help you overcome anxiety, depression, sleep better, all kinds of health benefits. So really, really take some time to dive into this episode. And, you know, if it really had a massive impact on you, be sure to share it, you know, tag James, tag myself with something you learn, maybe something you're going to implement as far as breathing. We'd love to hear from you. And again, if this had uh, enough of an impact on you, to if you would like to leave a review, we always love hearing feedback. And once again, I thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. I'll see you next time.